Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing and gift of this day. Lord, thank you for the rains with which you have watered uh, the land around us, Lord God, and the snow you have given us in the mountains. We pray that you would continue to pour out more rain and snow upon us, Lord. Prepare us for the summer ahead. And Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts uh, with your nourishment as well, that you would water the dry places therein, Lord, that you would bring up your rivers of life, Lord, within us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us this morning. Speak deep into us, Lord. Break down the walls we have built up over this week against you, Lord God, so that we might start afresh today. We pray that your word would be powerfully upon our lips and that we would be faithful in proclaiming it, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is so great to see you all today. Well, if you've been around this world for a while, you've probably heard the phrase, all things in moderation. Anyone ever heard that one before? Right. Well, actually, this is an old, old phrase, older than any of us, right? It was first expressed by this guy named Aristotle, right, who was married to Jackie O, I think, if if I know my history. No, he goes back, we're talking about the long ago Aristotle, right, the famous Uh, philosopher, right? Aristotle wrote about this idea of all things in moderation in a book that you probably have on your nightstand called the Nicomachean Ethics. Right? Everyone read that one? This is my one takeaway from a philosophy class in college is I actually did read sections of this. I can't believe it. I've actually applied something from a philosophy class. That's going to defy every joke that's ever been made about philosophy classes. So Aristotle... He said that there all things ought, so he made this statement about all things in moderation. He said it a little differently, but the, the gist was there. Now, what he meant, though, was that if one was pursuing the best, it was to be found somewhere in that ground between overdoing something and not doing it at all. Right? For instance, he wrote extensively on party balloons. That was one of his big sections in the Nicomachean Ethics, right? And so for him, this would be one extreme, right? Is this a balloon like this? Would you be satisfied if somebody said, here's a a balloon for you? No, it's not. It's barely even filled up, right? It's not even like a, a small fraction of its potential. Now, what's the other extreme? Popping it, right? And then when you've popped it, what happens to the balloon? It's gone, right? It's all over. Is your, is your tension building right now? I can't even hold it. I get so scared. I just... Oh! oh. Man, it freaks me out every time. I can't handle that explosion. So I just have to let it go. It just... Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to pop my eye out every time. Okay, so... There are the two extremes of the balloon. Now, he also spoke about this in terms of lesser virtues like courage. So in terms of courage, right, there's the extremes. One would be the person who just runs straight into the gunfire for no apparent reason, right? No plan, no rhyme or reason to why they're doing it, no greater purpose, just like, ah! Right? Then the other side is the person who, through fear, runs away from the battlefield the other way. Somewhere in between these extremes, in that moderation between them, lies the virtue of courage. Now, the problem is 
that we often use this phrase, all things in moderation, for what? Everything? Food. There we go. Now we're getting real. Food. We often use it for food. What else? Drink. Playtime. Yeah, somebody else said exercise. I thought that was a good one. But I particularly agreed with that. Yes, all things in moderation. Absolutely. That's right. But, um, you know, and, but this is not necessarily what Aristotle was getting at, right? This is not that higher virtue that Aristotle was reaching for there. Although these things are true, you know, that, that it's good to be in moderation for those things. But is all things, I mean, really, do you want it all things? Right? Like methamphetamines? Or, I don't know, jumping off cliffs? Or car crashes? You know, I mean, do we really mean all things? Is that really what he meant? No, not really. Um, and even this statement itself, we're going to get a little philosophical for a second, all right? I want to, I want to justify my philosophy class, right? Is um, the statement, all things in moderation, are we supposed to take that statement moderately too? <laughs> because all things in moderation is not a statement of moderation, is it? It's a, that's an ultimatum, right? All things in moderation all the time. Okay, we can step back now. You've done it. Thank you very much. You've gone there with me. We can step back from the brink now. We often apply this to simple things in our life. Food, drink, things like that. But you know what? Sometimes, or at this point now, people are beginning to apply this, this statement, all things in moderation, to faith. Right? It was applied recently by uh, a leader of our country to faith to say, look... All things should be done in moderation. We just don't want to believe too strongly because sometimes when we think about believing too strongly, we think about ISIS. Right? And we think heads are going to roll if we believe too strongly. But it's not really the level of belief that does that, rather the content of what that belief calls you to do. Are you with me on this one? Okay. So let's talk about whether all things in moderation is a Christian concept that should be applied to our faith. And I think to do that, we should look at the gospel passage for today. In our gospel passage, we have Jesus, and he is first speaking to his disciples, and then he expands the conversation out to a larger group who is gathered there with him. To his disciples, he describes to them how he must undergo, undergo great suffering— and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Right? This is in Caesarea Philippi where he is saying these things. He's not even anywhere near Jerusalem at this point. The crucifixion is still off in the future. And yet Jesus knows exactly what fate lies ahead of him. And he is sharing that with his disciples. Peter pulls him aside and tells him, Jesus, all things in moderation. Come on, man. No way. We don't actually get the context, uh, or we don't get the content of what Peter says, but I'm sure he said something like that, right? Because Peter was expecting Jesus to not do that, but to go rather on to glory, to go on to success, not to die and to be rejected by all. The passage tells us that Peter rebuked Jesus rebuked him. And then Jesus turns and looks at his disciples 
and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Well, things are not going well for Peter at this point, right? He just had like a major victory by declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. Now he's being called Satan in front of all his friends too. Right? That is embarrassing. Nobody wants that situation to happen. But there he is, stuck in that. And Jesus then addresses the larger audience and teaches them about what it means to follow him. He gives them all an education on what it means to be a Christian. These statements connect us back to Jesus' plan for his own life, which he had just shared with his disciples, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. And in many ways, they tie in his plan of salvation with the beginning of his ministry when he called his disciples with the simple words, follow me. Here we hear him invite the disciples and the whole crowd saying, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me they are to turn away from their impulses and desires and turn toward jesus christ and his desire for their lives now many times when we read this verse at least in my mind i think of the self-denial aspect of this verse right because it's right there it's really clear it says uh, let them deny themselves right there we go but Jesus doesn't, is not just talking about self-denial here, is he? Because he talks about taking up your cross. And where does one go with a cross? To death. It's like, if you have a swimsuit and a towel, where are you going? The beach or swimming, the river somewhere, right? If you've got your gym bag, where are you going? Gym. If you've got your suitcase, where are you going? Traveling somewhere, Right? If you've got a cross, where are you going? To die. To die. You're going to Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary. There's nowhere else you go with a cross, right? You take it to a place of death. Now, this verse does not mean that we will all be martyred for our faith, although martyrdom might be what is asked of some of us and is asked daily of our brothers and sisters worldwide in which there are more martyrs today than there ever have been in the history of christianity i mean there are people all over the world dying for their faith in jesus christ right now but this verse for us speaks to us in that we must lay down our lives for jesus christ we must sacrifice our desires for his will in our life now this is not horrible as it might seem it's a blessing. I mean, really, to be able to receive from God what he wants for us, we have to let go of what we're holding on to. You know, you just can't try. Have you ever seen a kid try and pick up, like, several balls at once? Right? You know, and they've got, like, three in their arms, and they try and get that one more, and then what invariably happens? They drop it, right? Or a dog. You ever see a dog try and pick up two balls at once, and they're like trying to figure out how to do it, right? You've got to let go of the thing you're holding on to before you can receive what God wants to give you. And Jesus here is calling the people he loves, the people he created, the people he knows, the people who knows not just their lives in the past, but their lives, what they will be in the future. He is calling those people to trust him, to trust and believe that he has a plan for their lives and to turn over their lives to his plan. 
And in light of this, moderation in faith is a failure. It is totally unacceptable. Jesus says here, For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Do you hear that flip there? You've got the idea about wanting to save your life. Who doesn't want to save their life? Right? I'm very moderate about death. Right? I don't want it. I'm not excited about it. I want to live. And so I live my life in certain moderation, right? Moderate speeds on the freeway. Moderate, you know, you just make certain decisions to protect yourself. But Jesus is calling for a life that is not dangerous for danger's sake, but rather that is turned over to him with abandon. A life which is lived for the sake of the gospel. And in doing that, we will truly find the life that we try to preserve on our own. Jesus doesn't leave it at just that. Instead, he drives home his point by saying, Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus Christ is calling these people to something great. It's calling them to see the will of God as the greatest thing, that, as the greatest impulse in their life, seeking to fulfill that desire of the Lord, to let go of their moderate ways and receive God fully. Because Jesus is in the business of turning conceptions upside down. He takes a restrained and moderate view and flips it over, reveals it as false. The challenge, though, is that the disciples and us, we love moderation when it works for us, right? Moderation and exercise, amen. I mean, how many of you, like a couple weeks ago when they came out with that study that said moderate exercise is better than too much exercise? How many of you cheered (laughs) right inside and and felt that it was somehow a justification for you? I mean, I did. I, I was like, yes, yes. I don't have to work too hard anymore. Right? We love moderation when it works for us. When it work, But how many of you would like moderation for chocolate? No way, man. I want the chocolate when I want the chocolate. Right? I'll tell you that right now. Or moderation of donuts. You know? No, we want those things. Those are wonderful. Or moderation in comfort of your bed. Or moderate, you know, like, no, we, we like full comfort. Moderation is good in certain things. Don't hear me wrong. To be moderate in terms of the way we eat, um, the decisions we make in life, sometimes it's very good to think with an idea of moderation. But when it comes to faith, when it comes to belief in Jesus Christ and commitment to him, there is absolutely no room for moderation. There is no room for hedging our bets There is no room for a buffer zone. When it comes to Christ, we need to be fully in. And that is what he calls us to in this passage. And we know this deep inside, don't we? Because really, when it comes down to it, faith is a lot like love. And how many of you this Valentine's Day wrote a card to your loved one that said, I love you moderately? (laughs) Dear, I love you within reason. 
I love you not too strongly, but not too coldly either. And how did that work for you if you wrote such a card? Right? Will you need to write another one in the future? You might be freed from that whole card writing forever if you write one like that. No, we want to be loved deeply. We want to be loved deeply. And the reality is we have been and are loved deeply right now. We are loved so deeply that our God was willing to take our flesh upon himself and to die on the cross out of love for you and for me. That is how God loves, with abandon, recklessly, choosing to be in relationship with people like me and you. That is how God loves. And he asks us to do something great, to turn over our lives and our wills to him. Now, when we're asked to do something great, that often brings out the best in us, doesn't it? I mean, you look at organizations that are characterized by greatness, right? Like the Pittsburgh Steelers or, um, you know, when, you, when you're called to something great, the church at its best, right? When you're called to something great, when you are challenged to something great in your life, it causes people to both depend upon God in a more real way. And also it brings out the best in them as well. May we be people who love God with abandon. He has asked us to do this. And he has shown us what it looks like in his life. The model he has shown us is the model of sacrifice. May we love him sacrificially. And love one another sacrificially. And then go out into this world transformed to love his people sacrificially. To love the hurt, the broken, the lost, the lonely, those who have been forgotten. May we love them as God has loved us. Will we fail at this? Yes, absolutely. Is there grace when we fail? Can we be forgiven? Yes, we can. Thanks be to God for that. He does not love us moderately or give us a moderate amount of grace. He gives us all the grace. And so may we not lose heart. And may his grace and the filling of the Holy Spirit give us the strength to love him and to serve the people he has called us to serve. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God who fills, the God who transforms, and the God who redeems. Lord, it's so easy to be satisfied with moderation. It's so easy to kind of hold our faith and hide it, Lord, behind a veil and to say, yes, yes, we believe or yes, we we feel these things. But Lord, help us to truly believe. Help us to truly love. Help us to truly take up our cross to be sacrificed with you, Lord God. Lord, help us to let go of ourselves, to let go of that tenacious death grip we have on our lives and turn them over to you that we can live them for your purposes and they can mean something in the grand scheme of things. You have called us to something great. You have invited us to something so much bigger than ourselves. Help us, Lord God, to respond to you in faith, to love you, 
to serve you as you have loved and served us, Lord God. Give us the strength to do this today and each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.